Hey everyone, before we start the show, a quick word from our sponsor, the American Nurse Association, which is a professional group that's trying to advance the nursing practice. It's there for us to help standardize nursing, helps bolster our health and wellness and in every single aspect of nursing. Feeling lucky? Well, the ANA is feeling awfully generous. They're giving away one free copy of Nursing Scope and Standards, fourth edition, as well as some other cool prizes. One winner will receive a MacBook Air, five winners will receive iPad minis, and 15 winners will receive some awesome Sony wireless headphones. Don't forget that this giveaway does not last long, so go to the nursingworld.org or click the description below to enter. Hey everyone, welcome to another Cup of Nurses episode with your hosts, Peter and Matt. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tuning in and listening. We really do appreciate that. That motivates us to just keep on producing this high quality content for the show. And if you find any value in this podcast, please give us a like, comment, share the five stars. It means a lot to us. For news and updates on what's going on with us, check out cupofnurses.com. We have some brand new skins on our websites, fully done and workable. I know it took us some time and people probably got frustrated when they couldn't click on things. It's all done. We are frontlinewarriors.com for the latest merch and everything. Don't forget our Facebook groups are popping too. Tune in and communicate with the community of Cup of Nurses and our vlogs as always are out every single two weeks. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. Another guest for everybody. This is Shannon Whittington. She is a clinical nurse expert in gender affirming surgeries with non-binary and transgender patients. She is also a big advocate for the LGBTQ community. So make sure you guys check out this episode. Shannon, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for your time. I wanted to first start off with, with a question. How did you get, get to work with the LGBTQ community? How did it all start off? Did you have a passion for it growing up? How did it all, all come about? You know, that's very, very interesting first question to start with. My boss had me go and attend some lectures about five years ago for um, a hospital system that we were partnering with around transgender patients having affirming surgery. And she just said, go check it out. I knew nothing about that, shamefully, because I'm a part of the queer community, um, but I didn't know anything about transgender anything. And so I started going to these lectures and learning, then I became an educator. And then I realized that there was a real gap in this knowledge, especially for nurses. And uh, I decided that I wanted to do something about it. So I started my own consulting company where I uh, work on this very thing, LGBT inclusion, LGBT person-centered care for healthcare professionals. Wow, so how much education do you have in that background? Ooh, okay. Well, I have my master's in leadership and management. I have my certification in LGBTQ plus health, and I'm over halfway through my doctorate program. So um, I'm almost finished and I will have my life back in about nine months because I'm doing my thesis on education around transgender health. Oh, interesting. Jeez. So thesis around education, around transgender. So yeah, for for uh, nurses. All oh, for nurses. Okay. Yeah, because I think when I think about nursing school and, and how much education we got on this, it was probably maybe like one day of, of education that, that we got, if if that even. Like they barely even even like uh, scratch the surface. Exactly. You got a day? That's more than most people. Or like, I want a day, so it's like an hour, you know, just like one yeah. class. Yeah, yeah. I was like surprised you said a day because, you know, the research shows that uh, the average healthcare professional gets about two hours. 
So maybe you're the first nurses that I've met who, who got the two hours because I'm still waiting to meet those nurses. Yeah, it's really rare, especially yeah. in travel nursing. So we don't do a lot of modules. We just do the basic ones just to start our contract. Mm -hmm. And I noticed mm -hmm. that just this year, there's nurses that started getting introduced to modules about the LGQTB community and everything and how to deal with uh, different genders in the hospital. But I never had the module myself. So I, it's a, such a pleasure talking with you and understanding and gaining that perspective, not only for myself, but all the viewers and listeners that are listening because we are really uneducated about this, um, this field. And that's what I wanna change. That's my mission before I am six feet under. <laughs> So real quick, for people that don't know, can you explain what like transgenderism is and what the meaning of binary is? Oh, sure. Okay. So transgender individuals disagree with their assigned anatomical sex at birth. Um, so if they were born with male genitalia, they feel like it should have been female. Or if they were born with female genitalia, they feel like it should have been born with male genitalia. But we also have transgender individuals who identify as TGNC, transgender nonconforming, and this goes along with further in the non-binary uh, standard. So binary is our heteronormative system, male, female. And our society wants to put all of us in these boxes. But people who are non-binary don't identify as either one of those. It's some, somewhere in between. It can go back and forth. Um, it really just depends on that individual. So non-binary is where you don't really ascribe to the standard of male or female. And is there like a certain age or how does one figure out that they're kind of not in the right body, you could say? Well, there's different stories and different studies. Um, you know, there's kids as young as six years old uh, trying to castrate themselves because they feel like they shouldn't have been born with male genitalia. I was talking to a trans woman um, today and in preschool, she what she was trans female, she was dressing feminine, acting feminine, and her uh, schoolmates always gave her the female part when they were doing play, but born male. So it really depends on the individual, but most trans people that I talk to tell me they knew that they were in the wrong body, like really, really young, three, four, five years old. Sometimes I have a nurse now who has a, a child born female at four years old who's telling their mother that they are not they are a boy you know so yeah so, so my question would be and i feel like women struggle the most out of everything when it comes to transitioning over and this is just my perspective here so i'm wondering when is it like an appropriate time for somebody that's developing to take like let's just say testosterone or hormones to try to start transitioning like is there a sweet point that's been found out the research or are we still trying to figure out what when is the appropriate time for that well they usually will allow them to start on hormone blockers or you know estrogen or testosterone uh as adolescents but as far as going any further with actual gender affirming surgeries you have to be 18 and there's a lot of other requirements with that too i don't know if you want me to go through that now but um what really tends to happen is that the person needs to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria, and then that person needs to exist, currently that person needs to exist in that role for at least a year, meaning if they feel like they are feminine, they have to dress feminine, act feminine for a whole year before they can go for, further with surgical transition. But you're specifically talking about medical transition, and there are adolescents that are on hormones for that. 
Okay. For like a surgical transition, they have to be 18 and above, right? Yes, they have to be 18 and above. They have to be diagnosed with gender dysphoria, or they're trying to change that to gender incongruence. And then they also have to have two letters of reference from an MD or master's prepared healthcare professional that substantiates this diagnosis and says, you know, and then they have to have medical clearance just like you would for any other surgery. Because once you have these surgeries, uh, there's really no going back. And although the regret level is very low, there is some regret. So, you, you know, you just, you don't wake up one day and decide, oh, I'm going to be a girl or, oh, I'm going to be a guy. It's, it's, a, it's a process. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big thing to undergo surgeries. And the only thing I want to say is that not all trans people undergo surgeries. We happen to see the subset of those who do, but some of them just physically, you know, on the outside dress, makeup, that kind of thing. Uh, but they don't actually have the surgery. So a, a trans person can have one. They can have all, which can be like up to eight procedures, depending on gender, or they can have a couple. It really depends. I'm curious, do these surgeries take a long time? Well, it depends on what the surgery is. Yeah, so the, do you want, to just want me to describe some of those? Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be interesting, yeah. Even before, sure. even before that, so just to understand what these gender-affirming surgeries are. So after the person... Uh, completes the checklist of the letters and they have everything ready and uh, they're fit, ready for these surgeries. What's the next step and what is exactly gender-affirming surgeries? Well, they have to have psychological clearance also. And the gender-affirming surgeries, like I've mentioned, there's about eight of them. So it depends on what, if you're transitioning to female or if you're transitioning to male. So we tend to see mostly trans women who were born male at birth transitioning to female. And the procedures that they can have, can have, like I said, they don't all have all of the surgeries or may have none, but one of them is facial feminization surgery, which is feminizing the face to look more feminine. So that usually includes rhinoplasty, um, chin shaving, uh, for mandibular flaring, you may have a uh, trach shave for the Adam's apple. And they try to put that in like a, a fold in the neck so you won't see that so much. Uh, the, the osteotomies here, not osteotomy, but these bones here, they tend to uh, shave those down, bring the hairline forward. There could be some uh, implants, maybe cheek implants or fat implants. And then that's to feminize the face. And that along with estrogen tends to work really well, uh, it really depends on what the canvas was before, obviously. So that's one surgery, facial fem. Then you have what's called top surgery, which is just basically breast augmentation, a boob job. Now, these patients can develop secondary breast characteristics after a few years of being on estrogen, but a lot of them want to go ahead and have the chest. So they have the surgery, they just have a breast uh, implant. And then the bottom surgery is called vaginoplasty. And vaginoplasty is the creation of a vagina that mimics a native vagina, vagina with the same uh, anatomic uh, components, clitoris, labia majora, labia minora, vaginal cavity. And uh, these pictures, you know, of these vaginas would really astound you. Uh, after about a year or so, they can even fool um, a GYN. And these patients can be orgasmic, um, bearing in mind that the clitoris is derived from the head of the penis, which is the most sensitive part. So usually tend to have really, really good results with vaginoplasty. And 
these patients have to have uh, dilation schedules where they dilate with a dilator to keep vaginal patency for a long time. Oh, interesting. Wow, that's, I, I've never knew there was so much like search options for that. Because like my, my, my education is very minimal on the LGBTQ community. So I, like, I never even heard about these things, to be honest. A lot of people have it and a lot of nurses have it. I mean, it's very, I don't really know that many people in uh, my niche area, which is why, you know, I said I want to change the world around this, just LGBTQ in general. But as far as, this, you know, affirming surgeries and these surgeries affirm who these individuals feel like they are supposed to be right? It's something they've always felt in their heart and their mind and their spirit. And by having these surgeries for the, those that choose to, this uh, really helps them with their dysphoria. And a lot of times their dysphoria goes away. We have about a 50% uh, revision rate for vaginoplasties, which is pretty standard nationwide. Now, so those are the surgeries that tend to do um, pretty good. Um, vaginoplasty is about four hours or so, depends on the surgeon, depends on what part of the country you're having the surgery in. When you go into trans male, it's a little bit uh, more complicated, I would say. Like the top surgery that they have is simply mastectomy, right? They remove the breast that's there, uh, but not with the lymph nodes and all that. So it's not quite as invasive as if, if the patient had CA. But it's a mastectomy and where they will masculinize the chest to minimize, I mean, to uh, mimic a cis male chest. And some patients just stop there. Some trans men stop there. They keep what they were born with on the bottom, their vagina, they keep it. But some opt for surgical intervention. And these are a little bit more complicated, a little bit higher risk, well, quite a bit higher risk of failure and, and complications. So there's two that these individuals can have. They can have uh, a metoidioplasty, which is a smaller penis. Um, it is basically just clitoral engorgement with hormone treatment um, that they make. And then if they want to go further with a larger phallus, they can have a phalloplasty and they take you know, skin from the arm, radial forearm, phalloplasty, sometimes from the side here, sometimes from the thigh, they wrap it around and make a phallus. Uh, and so one of the questions that a lot of people want to know is, is this phallus rigid? Can this phallus uh, 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 penetrate a vagina? And no, usually not with the phalloplasty. They do have stiffeners that they can implant, but these are for cisgender men. And you know, there's a high complication with that for cisgender men anyway. So they don't tend to work that well. There's some rigidity to the metoidioplasty, but there's basically a high, like a hundred percent complication rate for phalloplasty. So that's why some uh, trans men just wear a packer, basically, you know, a device in their pants that mimics uh, having a penis, having bulk, yes. Yes, so those are some of the surgeries. You know? Yeah, I know I did. They, they exist. Like, yeah, I know I did. They, they exist. Like I never knew that, they, that this was like a like a treatment, like a, like an option for these people. Like I had no clue that this existed. It's gotten so much better. I mean, uh, here in the U.S., you don't have to leave the country anymore. Uh, in in New York, I mean, some of the nurses that go see these patients are like, oh my gosh, I feel like I could use a nip and a tuck myself when they see because it's really some beautiful beautiful work. 
Um, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I've seen a lot of botched jobs because, you know, back in the day, um, that's what individuals had to do. But here in New York, all these procedures are covered. We even have special needs plans, three special needs plans specifically for this. So it's a great state to be trans uh, in New York. And you said they're covered by like insurance? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the insurances in New York, but not everywhere. I mean, it's, it's really legislated here. Trans people have lobbied and won and sued and won. So all the insurance plans covers these surgeries now. Yeah. Do, do you know, is that the only state in the United States that does this? It does these surgeries or the insurance? Uh, the insurance part, yes. I'm not sure. I mean, I speak all over the country and a lot of times, uh, you know, people will come up to me and say, my insurance doesn't cover that here. I was down in Florida. They said that to me. Um, so it really just depends. I know there's other states that do these surgeries and do a great job. You know, California, Chicago, D.C., Boston. Uh, those are to name a few. I want to go back a little bit to gender dysphoria. So I know that there's a person that's born with feeling different, correct, in their body and they want to change. How early is it that the person experiences gender dysphoria? It's very individual. You know, like I was saying earlier, it can be like three or four years old. Most trans patients that I talk to tell me they knew very, very early, like in um, like preschool, first grade, they knew. But for some people, it's later, you know, it's very individual. Right. That, that's why that's what I saw in the research as well, because one of my kind of uh, conflictions was was with like um, this community and these people that are in it sometimes is I feel like they they try to to push on other people sometimes. And I don't not really peer pressure, but kids that don't really have gender dysphoria, they make it seem like they do have it. And they kind of push them down this alley of getting placed on hormones at like the age of like. 9, 10, 11, 12, where they're kind of on the fence of it, of it, and they're kind of, they were kind of pushed into doing this hormone therapy just because they saw that they were getting this attention and they noticed that, hey, this attention is coming with me because, because I want to change genders, right? So you kind of understand where I'm coming from? Like, it was more of like a social pressure to do it, not necessarily coming out themselves, you know, and then, then people, I saw people that ended up regretting it. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, I'm finishing up a book, LGBTQ plus ABCs for grownups. And I intentionally hired a straight editor, you know, because I wanted to make sure I was explaining everything. And she said to me one day, Shannon, there's a lot of pressure for kids. Like now being straight is the minority. You know, everyone's fluid. Everyone's queer. Everyone's this. And I was like, really? She says, yeah, that's what's going on. So I do think, you know, that there is some uh, validity to that, some truth to that. Yeah. And hopefully these individuals can um, become, you know, come to know who they truly are, um, aside from the pressure. You know, we know pressure in school is horrible. What's that? Of course, it's a small minority. And of course, it's just like with everything else, you know, there's not always a perfect solution for, for this. You know, things, things tend to happen like that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. What do you think are some barriers to this community that they struggle with the most that you've experienced with your consulting, the book that you're writing and everything that, you know, in the, your field of work? I think the biggest barrier is lack of knowledge. You know, we, we tend in society in general, we tend to fear what we don't understand. And a lot of times this fear can lead to 
disgust. And the disgust can lead to violence. We've already had over 40 something people killed, trans people killed last year, mostly, you know, people of color, Latinx, and it's dangerous to be trans, you know? Uh, they call it walking while trans. I was just talking to a lovely trans woman uh, a couple hours ago and um, she had just left the hair salon getting her hair done. And she was at the red light and this guy was blowing the horn, like roll down your window, roll down your window. And she was convinced that she was gonna get killed. Like he was following her. She said she didn't go home for four hours because she was so afraid. Now she was convinced that he knew her whole entire trans story Maybe he was just following her because he thought she was cute. Who knows? But that's the type of fear that these individuals face living in a society that doesn't want them. Now, imagine that and going to seek health care. You're going to be you're going to see health care from a provider that doesn't know how to take care of you. Forty something percent of trans people have been denied health care because we don't know how to take care of them. So you see why that's such a big mission of mine? That's something I really, really want to change. Or we've got nurses. I don't take care of those kind of people. Oh, no, I don't agree with that. That's against my religion. Like, you know, so these are the biggest barriers. I think it's really lack of knowledge and not understanding this population. You know, I can tell you this story like pre-COVID when my wife and I were on a cruise, a straight cruise, because they have gay cruises. Okay. So we're on the, we're on a straight cruise. You know, it's mostly seniors and a few people on their vacation. And you know, all the alcoholics are at the bar by 11 and they're all lit, right? So we're down there walking around. I, I meet this, we meet this couple, straight couple. And, you know, it always gets into, what do you do? Da, da, da. She's telling me she's a nurse. She's had three surgeries on her ankle. And the husband has 12 uh, Camaros. He built garages for them. I'm having to look at all this boring Camaros, you know, because I'm not in cars. And, and he says, what do you do? And I said, you know, I educate nurses on transgender affirming surgeries. And he said, he pointed in my face and he said, that's disgusting. And he walked off, right? And so the wife is like, yeah, excuse my husband because sometimes he says stuff is not appropriate. And, you know, and I thought to myself, he's disgusted by what I do. If I was trans, he would be disgusted by who I am, you know? And that just really opened my eyes to how some people view this misunderstood population, this pathologized population, you know, demoralized, discriminated against. Uh, it's pretty, pretty pathetic, but I'm changing the world and I'm educating people on this and I'm on your podcast talking about this, so. There you go, yeah, that's what matters. We're changing the world right now. Right. That's like the thing with like ignorance, like people don't want to change because I grew up in, in a Catholic household and at, at one point when I was younger, I had the same views of like transgender people and, and all that, but then I realized like, hey, they're not any different than, than you and I, it's just a different struggle of, that they, they go through, you know, because we all go through struggles in life and they happen to be be given that deck of cards where they have by this dysmorphia or they're not in the right body and like I, I came to grips with that it's okay like I was able to, to change my mind because as a Catholic you know we're I was raised in that certain way where it's this way and this is the right way and I realized went to school and met a few people that were gay transgender and realized they're no different they just have a, they have a different life and like I said the struggle is different and that's just the way that they deal with life and 
and it's, it's okay. Like it's not a it's not a big deal. It's not like they it's not like they try to like curse you or something. It's not like they're like crazy people. They're just normal people with a different situation in life. Yeah, you, it's it's acceptance, and yeah. it makes it so much harder because Shannon, you're fighting years and decades of programming of how thing how we should view things. So we almost have to. How do you unprogram the human mind that has all this pre-judgment yeah. right away, right? Like, oh, yes. like, like that person on the boat, like, even if you would like to change his viewpoint or help educate him, he's already locked. He's already, his, how do I explain? His mind is already no, and that's it. And he views you like a diff, like a lesser person. Mm-hmm. I hope not. And that's it. You can't get through him. And that's the barrier that we have to yeah. bridge in this community. It, it really is, you know, I always say we can't legislate people's hearts, you know, really can't. But I, I like how you on your own, you know, discover, hey, these people are, no, you know, it, it, it's like they're not, and me, I'm a gay cis woman, right? I don't lead with being gay. I lead with being Shannon, and Shannon is a nurse, and Shannon is a wife, and Shannon is this and that, and Shannon happens to be gay. That's it. And it's not like asking for anything any different than anybody else. We want the same thing straight people want, to be the best expressions of ourselves. We know, we know that we live in a heteronormative world. We know that we live in a binary world. We know that that's pretty much probably going to be like that for quite some time, probably like the rest of my lifetime. We know that, we get it, we accept that. All we're asking for, same opportunity as you, same treatment as you. You make a very good point. And being a nurse and taking care of these patients, what are some advice that somebody's listening to as a nurse? How do we take care of this patient population or what do we have to be conscious about? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I was going to ask that too because I had a one transgender patient in, in my life um, mm-hmm. as, as a nurse. That yeah, that's true that I know of. And um, I didn't really know how to provide care. Like I felt awkward in a room, not because like I didn't like them or anything, but I just didn't know... Um, like how, how to act, like, should I do anything different, should I, you know, like I didn't know what questions to ask, I just didn't know what to do. That was almost your judgment, right? Yeah, I was at the situation. Right, I was judging the situation, like I'm supposed to act different, but then my coworkers like, hey, just act normally, like they're normal humans, like it's, a, it's your patient, like just act normally, if they want to bring something up, they'll bring it up. I just didn't know how to act or how to give proper care, so if you could like educate us on, on that, I really appreciate it. Is there anything that we should kind of be like sensitive about? Yeah, that's a really good question. Great coworker, by the way. Just a very good patient like anybody. And that patient could just be coming in for a cough or maybe has, you know, a UTI, you don't know. So one thing that's really important, particularly in this population of non-binary people as well, is knowing how they want to be addressed. How would you like for me to address you? You know, what's your pronouns? Now, for some of us, that's a question we've never asked before. What do you mean? What do you mean? What's my pronoun? It's he or she, you know, baby boomer, silent generation. You get into the younger generation, you all are in the younger generation. Maybe it's not such a new question, but those are really, really important. Two things right there. How would you like to be addressed? Because think about it. If you have a transgender person coming in to see you as a nurse practitioner, let's say, and they're got urinary frequency, and you're going to be checking a UTI, checking for that. You're going to do a UA and all of that. you got to register the patient into the system. Well, let's just say this person has transitioned to Shannon, but maybe Shannon's uh, born name, or they would call it legal name or dead name, is Sean. Maybe my insurance card says Sean. 
Maybe my driver's license says Sean, but maybe I fill out the form as Shannon. What do you do? How do you keep from putting your foot in your mouth, right? You ask the patient, how would you like to be addressed? And Shannon is gonna say, I'd like to be addressed as Shannon. Okay, thank you. What are your pronouns? My pronouns are she and her. And then when they present to you their card, you're gonna see it's Sean. They haven't changed their name yet. Maybe they're living in a state like where I'm from, from Tennessee, where you can't change your name. So those are two really, really important things. And then just understanding that that person most likely is not coming there for anything gender related. If they've got dysphoria, if they have anxiety, they're probably seeing a psychologist. They're not coming in there for anything gender related, most likely, unless they're being evaluated for that. So treat them for what they came in there for. And just know in the back of your mind, they just happen to be trans or they just happen to be queer or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good piece of information. Like, how would you like to be addressed? Because the situation was where it was it was a male that was a that's a female and they had different names. And, I, and I, that's what kind of that's what scared me. I was like, do I call them this name or, or this name? And, and like, it wasn't clicking. Like it was the first experience that, that I've had that had a patient like that. But then I kind of took a st step back and I'm like. It's not their first time in a hospital. They probably haven't asked every question that I have going through my head. And it's probably more normal for them to be in a situation than, than, than for me. So I kind of just calmed down and realized that, hey, this person has been in a situation multiple times. And whatever I ask them, it's not going to throw them off because they've been here before. So I was kind of treating myself like, like the victim without realizing, hey, let me, just, let me just focus on the patient and do good patient care and not really get stuck in my head and, and think about me and, and on how I'm feeling. That's kind of what helped me, helped me out. And of course, my coworkers were just like, you know, Stop being a baby, just go with the normal, the normal people, just like relax, you know? Even though I didn't have any kind of bias, I still got nervous because my first time doing that kind of, kind of stuff. You do get nervous and you're afraid you're going to misgender them. And, 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 you know, like the nurses that I train, I go into how important it is not to misgender, but I also go into how to recover if you do misgender someone. Because they're going in there thinking, I got to make sure. And I always say to them, look, just think of it like this. You're going in to see a woman who had pelvic surgery. You've had patients who've had pelvic surgery before, you know, you're going to see a man who had, who had uh, surgery on his chest, you know? So, uh, but yeah, it sounds like you did okay with that. Yeah, it, was, it was cool. Cause it was a night shift too. So I'm like, how am I going to do this bath? Like, do I do perineal care? How is this going to work? And then like later on that night, like the patient's like, you know, honey, relax. Don't be nervous. Like she knew I was nervous. That's funny. And I was like, shit, she's, she's like, don't worry about it. I can take care of myself. I'm just here for, for, for my, my heart stuff. Cause it was a heart failure unit. So I, they were just there for like anotropes and she like, she like read it. She knew I was nervous. Like she didn't know I was new. She's like, don't worry about it. I'll help you out. Like, don't get scared. And I felt bad. I'm like, you know, it's like, I'm supposed to be helping her out in the hospital and she's helping me out. So you're on self-criticism yeah, yeah. that's getting you. Yeah. So yeah. So it's just, it was a good experience though. Definitely, definitely taught me a lot and I definitely grew a lot from that experience. Well, for you. well we, they have to teach us so, so much about receiving care. Like, can you imagine if your van breaks down and you've got to get on the stretcher and take it to the hospital and the doctor says what happened? And you're like, I don't know. It just started spewing all this smoke and everything. And then the doctor says, well, what do you think we should do? And you're like, uh, I don't know. You're the mechanic. So that's why I brought my car to you. Uh, check the radiator. I mean, you know, yeah, this is what trans people experience on the regular on a regular because we don't know how to take care of them. Yeah, yeah. Do you also kind of like flip the role and do you educate your community on how to approach like somebody that's 
that has this prejudgment? Is there a way to approach a regular person to help them educate and help them understand so we're on the same uh, plane? Well, I know like with organizational culture shifts, um, that can be difficult. And it can be difficult in the community as well. And what I've found has worked with that is just always giving the information. You know, I, I, I use this story. I approached a nurse one time for training about three years ago. So I thought she was a brilliant nurse. I thought she would be amazing. And she said, Shannon, I'll do anything for you, but I won't do that. And I was like, okay. A year passed, the information was still out there. Another year passed, the information was still out there. One day, she comes to my office and she said, you know, I've been thinking about those trainings that you're doing and let's be clear, I don't agree with it, okay? But I'm a nurse and I should be able to take care of anybody, no matter what surgery they've had. Can I take the training? So she took the training and I made sure she got a patient right away. And now she's one of my top performing nurses. And after she'd had a couple of patients, she stopped by again. And she said, Shannon, I get it. She really should have been a girl. You know, and that's the type of transformation, clinical transformation that I look for. But I still have individuals who were like, no, five years ago. And they're still like, no. Well, one thing I can tell you is there's over 10 million LGBTQ plus people in the US alone, all right? 1.7 million of whom are trans, which I think that's higher because they're a hidden population. What I can tell you is that I have yet to meet one person who hasn't been impacted by this community in some way, shape or form. Their mother, their father, their cousin, their brother, their nephew, their friend, their classmate. They're, you can't escape this population, whether you like it or not. And you can say, oh, I don't, I don't have any, I don't know anything about that. Well, then that just means those people haven't come out to you. Maybe they don't feel comfortable coming out to you. Like when you said I've taken care of one transgender patient, I said that you know of, because we don't always come out to our healthcare providers as trans or gay. Do you know how many times I went to the doctor? I didn't come out as gay to my, to all of my GYNs. You know, I, I didn't know if that was, that was safe. Do you know how many times I went to the doctor and had to take a pregnancy test for nothing, you know? Good That's perspective, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine that, like living almost like, you can't live your full life, you're always in hiding, like you're never your true self because there's always something that has to be like hidden in, in the back. That's crazy. Yeah. Nearly 50% of LGBTQ plus people hide in the workplace, nearly 50%. And they hide for fear of discrimination, being passed over, you know, I had a nurse on LinkedIn uh, DM me and tell me to stop doing this work. She had a nurse aide on her unit. This was a senior nurse. She was just at the pinnacle of getting into the C-suite. And she had a, a nurse aide put out a rumor about her that she was gay because she liked to hug people. And this cost this woman her career. And this was, this was in the North. It wasn't like some little small town like where I'm from, Tennessee. No, you know, so these are the things that we think about. Do we come out? Do I come out on LinkedIn? Do you think I got on LinkedIn as I'm going to be the gay person? No, I just kind of fell into it. And I noticed every time that I started posting this type of contact, content, subject material, 
that's when I got the most engagement. So then I was like, you know what, what am, what am I hiding? You know, it's both, but it's primarily good. Every now and then I get some haters or someone begging me to please shut up about trans or, you know, gay or queer or whatever it is. But that's like, I would say less than 1%, you know, look at you all. You invited me on your, on your podcast. Yeah. And it's been an awesome experience so far. And I'm really glad we, we had you on because this is, this is like a very mind opening because like you said, there's not a lot of education on this and it's kind of like, if you want to learn about it, you have to yourself go out there and learn and the material out there is kind of hard to find you're not really sure how to go about it and speaking to you definitely like opened up my eyes a lot and then like what's like really good information and what isn't you know so let me tell you how i'm addressing this because i was i was like okay shannon what can you do you can write a book some people don't read you know you can you can be on shows some people listen some people don't so here's here's what i decided to do I am collaborating with one of my um, LinkedIn connections, Damian Jenkins, and we are creating a course, right, on LGBTQ person-centered care that we're going to be have uh, going to be having. My English is really good. Uh, that we're going to have offered to <laughs> that was bad too. Uh, all the uh, healthcare providers across the country, every hospital, every nursing home. Um, just any place that's providing healthcare, we're going to be offering this training. And it's very um, now and it's very uh, entertaining and it's not, a, you know, the, the clipboard and everything. So, you know, to read the module, it's not like that. We're interviewing people from all across the queer community and really putting this um, information out there. So I can't I can't wait to actually have that. That's a really heavy lift in addition to getting my doctorate and the book and all that. But. Like you said, I mean, there's just such a need for it. And like, why don't travel nurses get this? You guys are traveling everywhere. You think you're not taking care of queer patients? You are. Yeah, especially yeah. us in California, we had such a diverse population that this would come in handy. So how, how are you going to uh, promote this course? Is it going to be something that you're going to be giving out privately? Or are you hoping to take it to... Can you scale it where hospitals accept this course as like a standard or some continuing education courses that this will be credited actually? I think that's that's what we're trying to do. I think that'd be good, like the continuing education where now our nurses are required to have X amount of hours. Yes, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, we really want it to be on a national level because this this has to stop. You know, this type of education needs to to be normalized. I mean, it's we're doing this population an in-service by not knowing how to take care of them. And every person within this population can give you a horror story of what they've experienced um, seeking health care from someone who didn't know how to take care of them. I want to touch up on your book uh, right now. And I have a question afterwards regarding like childhood development. But for your book, uh, what's the name of it and what's it about? I think it's like ABCs of the LGBT. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, this is like LGBTQ plus ABCs for grownups. And it's basically a book for straight people who are kind of clueless, uh, but I didn't want to put that as the title, um, but it's very uh, like 101, you know, the letters stand for this, the flags stand for this, the colors, the symbols, what does trans mean, what does, you know, genderqueer mean, those kind of things. And uh, it just explains it in a very simplistic way 
And it's a really, really short read because when I was doing my research, there's a lot of books out there, but a lot of them are like encyclopedias. And, you know, nurses don't really have the time to go and read encyclopedias or just the general public in general, you know? So I wanted to make something easy and uh, easily available. And then we will get into doing the person-centered uh, care for healthcare providers. Like there's a whole list of things that we're gonna be creating going forward, but that book is very basic for just anybody. Okay, and where can you get that book? Well, it's still at the editor, but if you, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like finalizing the cover. I was just looking at a cover before we got on here today. So if you go, if you DM me on LinkedIn, Shannon Whittington on LinkedIn, you know, send me your email. I can put you on the pre-sale list. Also, my website, shannonwhittingtonconsulting.com. I plug your email in there and I will let you know. Or you might have me back on and I can have it, show it, see. So here it is. <laughs> Cool. That'd be cool. And I know, I know you don't work with children, but do you know anything about like the child de development process of like maybe the struggles they go through as kids, um, the difficulties and their kind of barriers and how they're perceived and you know how they're supposed to act and kind of like they're because they're kind of right now in society transgenderism and people are kind of against the norms you, you could say. So how do, do they develop like children? Yeah, so that's another area that we've really got to dive into after we've done the adult. So I wouldn't consider myself to be an expert on that right now. I'll, what I can tell you is that a lot of this has to do with how the parents uh, approach this and whether the parents uh, support their child or not. You know, um, so many kids, uh, I mean, if you think about it, nearly half of homeless youth are from this population, which goes to show you that they get thrown out of their houses. Um, I just talked to a trans woman today where she got attacked um, in her own house for being trans. So there's a lot, a lot of issues uh, that we should probably be another show, but I don't have uh, the full scope of it just yet. But I know it's, it's needed because a lot of people ask me about it. So that's the next part that we're going to be touching on, and, and in particular, school nurses, because, you know, we're the most trusted profession, right? So kids will come in and tell the nurse, and then the nurse has got to figure out, okay, how do I tell mommy and daddy that Angie is really Adam, you know? And that nurse is going to need Shannon's pocketbook guide to figure out what to say, how to approach it, and how to... There you go, you got it, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think with, with children, it's very similar to like other kids. With the, if they develop properly or if they get accepted, definitely from the parents. Even as like, you know, a man and I are both straight, you know, it, we, we do learn a lot from my parents and, you know, we act like our parents and... It gets carried we, over. Right, and we, we grow up, so we look to our parents to evaluate us. And I can only imagine if like, if I was like seven, eight years old and I, like I say, I came out as a gay or transgender, and my parents shut me down, that'd be detrimental. You know, we, oh, yeah. we see guidance acceptance from our parents. So and imagine getting thrown out of the house just because you're, you're this way and you don't really have a choice. Yes. That, that, yeah. that is gonna mess somebody up for life. You know, and then you, then you oh, wonder yeah. why they're homeless, why they have mental troubles, why they you know, can't build good relationships is because they were never accepted by their, by their parents. And if your parents can't accept you when you're a kid, you're thinking no one else is going to accept you because my, my blood family, my mom, my dad don't accept me. So who is gonna accept me? And that's because it's just so personal. Mm -hmm. well, 
by your by your parents. And you know, there's parents because they they reach out to me on LinkedIn all the time. And there's parents who have moved out of their school districts because of discrimination in their school, and they support their kids so much. You know, so there, there it's just really a challenge uh, for them to know what to do, where to go for resources. There's, you know, like a lot of um, Facebook support groups for parents of kids who are, you know, trans or, or non-binary. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done in that space for sure, for absolute sure. And, and the teachers, they don't really know, you know, what to do sometimes. So. That'll be coming. We'll, we'll be back on again to talk about that. It, it seems like we need a whole a whole overhaul when it comes to our society with, with a lot of things. Even nursing, for example, that's a whole other topic to tackle and revolutionize healthcare. So, yeah, I've noticed in nursing, like we're in a field where we're so accepted of our patients. Sometimes we can't accept our coworkers' decisions, which is always so weird. And there's so many gay nurses or queer nurses. There are, it's loaded. <laughs> The population is loaded. The profession is loaded with with uh, people from this community. Yeah, yeah, and they're it's literally they're just like everybody else. Like it's mind blowing how people can't accept this. It's just like they're not out here to you know get you or anything. They're just part of society, living their life just like you and I, moving around, you know, have a job, have a career. Thing? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you can't like get cooties from them or anything like that. It's, it's not how that yeah. works, you know. Yeah, people are so scared. Yeah, want the same thing as you, a job, place to live go to school, have kids, you know, same thing, same exact thing. Right. Now that I like, you know, grew up and I actually like, understand this, it's, it's just like when I was younger, like I had the same viewpoint, like a negative viewpoint about these people, but then like I grew up and learned and it's like, they're just normal fucking people. Yeah. Sorry for swearing, but. No, that's yeah, okay. It's your own show, man. Mm -hmm. Swear. But, and uh, <laughs> so I want, really want to say thank you, Shannon, for coming onto the show and explaining all that and. Uh, educating the nurses that are listening and also us because we're immigrant, uh, Polish, Catholic, or ex-Catholic, whatever you want to call it, but it's just we had such prejudgment growing up and we've realized that through our experience of culture, we had to unlearn so much to relearn and to become a more of a whole person technically and love and accept everybody. So thank you for taking the time and bring, being so brave and being the forefront of a community that really needs you more than ever. Well, absolutely. Thank you for giving me the platform to do so on such a successful podcast. So I'm honored to be here today. Just like help out the the community. Where could they go? Is there any good resources or good websites that they could tune into to help them out? Maybe you know lead lead a charge in their own community with this. Well, there's a great organization here called Trans New York. And they do a lot of work and they also do a lot of work. There's a Trevor project. So uh, yeah, those are some places that, that okay. you know. And then where could anybody find you? Just just LinkedIn or do you have other social platforms? Uh, LinkedIn is the main one. Uh, I'm on IG too, uh, Shannon Whittington Consulting. And then my um, website, Shannon Whittington Consulting. But LinkedIn is like my primary. I mean, that's how I found you all. That's my primary site. You can DM me there. I answer all my DMs, even though I have a big, following i do answer all my dms awesome all right. thank you shannon so much for your time yep looking thank forward you. to seeing your future good luck on your books thank, thank you. you yep take care bye-bye